our kids can head back to be with our team in Transformation Station this morning. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We'll be in chapter 1 this morning, starting in verse 15. And if you're using one of the Bibles we provided there in the rows, you can find the page on 976, 976. Um, I hope that the songs that we sing each Sunday resonate in your heart. You know, we don't just pick these songs for no good reason. We want to be a church that lifts high the cross of Christ. We hope that, man, if you're encountering the good news of Jesus, what he's done in his life, death, and resurrection, even for the first time today, that you would be compelled to raise the white flag. You know what I'm saying? Surrender to God and his better plans for your life and, and to experience all that he has for us in Christ. And, and that is the, the title of our series, In Christ. We're looking at what it means to be in him, to live life in Jesus. Well, before we uh, dive into this uh, text, I just want to say thanks for braving through the snow. Okay, we know it wasn't too bad. Apparently, we're going to get uh, some serious action this week, all right? But that's not going to stop us from loving God, worshiping him, and hopefully making it back next Sunday, right? Um, and next Sunday, by the way, is a big Sunday for us, okay? Uh, number one is Bring Sunday, all right? So it's a great time. We, we have these periodically through the year. Just as saying, this is a particularly good Sunday for different reasons throughout the year, just to, to invite someone, to bring someone with you. And, and, and why is it so good next Sunday? It's not only because we're going to worship Jesus and be in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, one of the greatest passages in the Bible in my estimation, uh, but also it's Super Sunday, all right? And, um, you know, there, there's, there's a game going on, if you, in case you haven't heard, uh, a team that you may have heard of, uh, the New England Patriots. I wonder, do we have anybody representing the NFL here today? Um, any investigators to see if this uh, Patriots ball is inflated at the right levels? <laughs> Um, yeah, this, you can, t you can do, check the PSI later after the service. Uh, but, but listen, it's Super Sunday. Where we're calling it Super Sunday. I know it's kind of cheesy, all right? So don't, don't hate, all right? It's just a memorable way for us to remember to bring a can or cans of soup to help out needy families in Medford. Uh, we're going to distribute those uh, after the Sunday. So bring some cans of soup, and uh, you'll receive more instructions on that uh, later in the service. Well, uh, to get us thinking about our theme this morning, I want to tell you a story uh, that unfolded when I was in seminary down in North Carolina. I can remember catching the, the, the regional news there, and there was a story of this family in Durham uh, that, that was just a, a, an unbelievable story of what, what happened to this family. So there was a father and a son who were hanging outside of their apartment, and it was just any other day, probably a nice day. You know, the weather's pretty nice down in North Carolina most of the year. Uh, so we can just imagine that they're out kind of on their balcony, you know, hanging out in their apartment. And, and two strangers walk up uh, to the second level where they were uh, hanging out there, I believe. And uh, it said that they just came up and said, you know, hey, uh, do you have a cigarette? Uh, we'd like, you know, smoke. And so, you know, these guys, they're, they're nice guys. The son obliges his request. He goes into the apartment, and as soon as the son goes into the apartment, guess what happens? Guns come out. The, the two strangers are actually armed robbers, and so the, the one, one robber stays outside with the father, okay, to keep him under control, while the other armed robber follows the son in, gets the family on the ground, including four children, and, and then uh, proceeds to gather all of the, the money, the, the credit cards, the jewelry, uh, all the valuables that they could possibly confiscate there uh, just in a few minutes' time, okay? You can imagine this. Maybe you've seen something like this in a movie. Hopefully, you've never experienced anything like it, uh, but but, but as they're about to wrap up their, their robbery, they have this idea. 
We're going to take the mother and we're going to force her to go to an ATM and pull out more money so that we can really, you know, hit the jackpot here in this robbery. So while this is all going on, there is a a four-year-old son. His name is Stevie. And Stevie has had enough of the bad guys. And so Stevie, somehow unbeknownst to the robber, sneaks into his bedroom He puts on his red Mighty Morphin Power Ranger costume, grabs his plastic sword, and he means business. Okay, so check out Stevie. I mean, does this guy not look fierce right here? He goes into the living room, starts going, yeah, 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 get away from my family. And believe it or not, Stevie Long saved the day. The robbers were spooked, apparently, and they fled from the scene. Now, this is a true, this is a true story, okay? Listen to the, listen to the police report. Uh, this is from the Durham police. Uh, they said this, during the robbery, a boy, Stevie, snuck into his room, dressed himself in a Power Ranger costume, and armed himself with a plastic sword. The child then exited his room and approached the armed suspect in an attempt to protect his family. Now, when the local paper uh, interviewed little four-year-old Stevie, he was quoted as saying, I scared the bad guys away. How do you like that? Give it up for Stevie. Now, now in the aftermath of this, of this story, uh, that the family did have a few things to sort out with Stevie because uh, they realized that they needed to help him to distinguish uh, that which is a fantasy and reality, right? I mean, uh, because his aunt actually said uh, he fully believed that he morphed, okay? So uh, go, go figure. Uh, Stevie, Stevie really got the job done uh, in more ways than one. All right, so, so now listen, we're, we're, all, we're all, for the most part, we're all, we're all adults in here, okay? We all, we're all thinking people, and uh, we, can, we, we can see the problem here, right? I mean, it was a great story, and hooray for Stevie and what he accomplished there in that moment to save his family, uh, but, but, but we, see, we see the problem, we see the disconnect, right? Stevie believed that, that, that he could uh, tap into a power that he did not really possess, Right? And this could, if he tried again and again, he could maybe get himself into some trouble with, with this kind of mindset, okay? He, was, he, he believed that he had a power that, that he did not really possess. Uh, that was his problem, and we can all, you know, laugh at that and enjoy that this morning, but, but we also have a problem. I want you to consider this this morning. We have, a pro- we have a problem in the church that is a massive problem. And our problem is not that uh, much different than Stevie's. It's just on the opposite end of the spectrum. See, Steve, Stevie believed that, that he had a power that, that he could tap into that he did not possess. But we as Christians have the power of God within us by his spirit, and we live as if we did not possess it. You see that? And so what Paul is going to do in this, in this text, in this prayer, is he's going to, to, to beg God to show the Ephesians the power that truly does dwell in them so that they can live then with that power. So this morning, I want us to think about the power of God for you. We could say the power of God for us as his church. The primary encouragement I want to give us this morning is this, that that we can live our life with the limitless power of God. 
Live your life with the limitless power of God. I want to read the first few verses for us this morning. You can follow along with me, starting in verse 15 of chapter 1. This is what Paul writes. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So verse 15 starts out, and, and Paul says, for this reason, okay? And whenever we, we see phrases like that in the Bible, we should always look and see what the context is of, of what Paul is talking about. So he's saying, for this reason, because of what I have just said, all right? And we know from the last two Sundays that we've gathered here that verses 3 through 14 lay out the believer's new identity in Christ. It says, if if you're in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You've been chosen, adopted, loved, predestined, uh, redeemed, forgiven, sealed, uh, and on and on we could go. And so so because of this gracious work of God that he has worked in the the church of the Ephesians, then he is going, he has moved then to prayer. And and, and this is is what he says. He says, I thank my God remembering you in my prayers. And so before we look at the content of Paul's prayer, I want to ask two foundational questions about prayer, okay? We, we, we know that, I mean, most people, even if they're not in Christ, if they're not really connected to a church that is seeking to live their life for God, most people would say they pray, right? Most people would. And so what... Why is prayer so important? Why do we need to, to daily, um, we, we're talking this year about building by, by prayerful dependence and daily saturation in God's word. That's what we want to see happen as part of our 2015 vision, that each person would live in daily dependence on God through prayer. Why, why is this so important? Why pray? Well, let me just give you four reasons. These are not exhaustive. Number one, um, for a relationship. Okay, God, the God of this world, the God who made everything in it, the God who made these beautiful snowflakes that fall from the sky. Okay, this God desires a relationship with each and every one of us. Isn't this amazing? You know, like how much of a relationship do you have with someone if you never communicate with them, if you never spend time with them? Never make a call, never go out for dinner, never have them over, never, never, never touch base. Like, what, what kind of relationship is that? And then, yeah, we, we expect, you know, we, we, we kind of pull back. We, we never really consistently pray. And then it's like, man, what, what happened between me and God? And like, well, that's what happened, right? But the good news is we can be motivated by the fact that God wants to have a vibrant, close, intimate relationship with us. Number two. Prayer is a way that we express our dependence on God. Prayer is a humble recognition that that we need God in all matters of our lives. Everything comes from him. There is nothing in our lives, our breath, nothing that does not come from God's gracious hand. So when we pray, we're we're simply humbling ourselves before God and saying, God, everything that I have is, is from you. And that delights God when he, when he sees that we recognize that in our lives. Number three, here's a good one. How about this? Change. 
God, don't miss this, God changes us when we pray. Now, now if we can just all be honest with one another this morning, my, my, my hunch is, and I know how my prayer life often devolves into this, most of the time when we pray, we pray because we want things from God, right? We go to God because we want things. And so ultimately, a lot of times, what we're doing is kind of elevating ourselves into God's position and saying, God, you know, like, I'm in control here, I'm in charge, and I want you to, to fulfill my will for my life. Has anyone ever been there? And maybe you're like saying that, or maybe not even, but like practically that's kind of how the whole thing is working out. But, but here's, here's the, 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 sweet, the sweet deal, okay? When, when God grabs a hold of our hearts, when we come in humility before him, what happens in prayer is that God pulls us into his heart. He begins to align our will with his will when we see what a great and beautiful God that he is. And so prayer changes us. We, we come to God because we want to see things changed around us. But in the process, God changes us. He works on our hearts when we pray. And then number four, of course, God listens and responds. Now, this is, this is an amazing truth, okay, that, that God would actually hear us because of Jesus, because Jesus has given us access to the Father through his blood that he shed on the cross so that now we can present our request to God, and God loves to answer prayer. Whether he says, yes, we're going to fulfill that right now, or hey, maybe later, or no, that's not what's best for you because I'm your father, and fathers don't always give children what they want at the time because they have the better perspective on the uh, whole scene. But all of these things are, are true when, when, when we pray. This, these are incentives to pray. And to these, we could add many others, uh, like the, the faith-building, comfort-bringing, earth-shaking effects of prayer. Many more we could talk about, but we're not going to have time to do that today. So that is, that is just a few reasons why to pray. Now, how should we pray? And, and, and what I want you to do here, I want you to, to, to take down uh, this acronym, okay, FADES. And this is uh, from a sermon, one of the best sermons I've ever heard on prayer from John Piper from Romans 12, 12, the simple text that says, be devoted to prayer. All right, that's what Romans 12, 12 says. It says, be devoted to prayer. And so this, in this sermon, Piper got super practical, and he said, hey, here are some, some ways that, that we can pray. This is maybe what our prayer life should look like. So I hope you'll write these down, and I hope that essentially these will maybe jumpstart your prayer life, okay? Maybe give you a boost in terms of how you're approaching God on a daily basis, okay? Number one, uh, fades. And, and let me pause. Why does he call it fades? He says, you know what? There's really no good reason. It's just what the acronym uh, spelled out. But if you want to kind of, you know, reach a little bit, you could say that if you don't uh, practice these pairs that he gives, then your prayer life will fade, okay? So, hooray, Pastor John Piper. And uh, let's see what he has to say. It's really, really good, okay? Number one, free and form. All right, free and form. Sometimes we come to God and we just pray about whatever is on our heart. This is, this is free praying. Whatever comes to our mind, whatever is on our heart in the moment, we just, we just pour out our lives before God. And God loves it when we do that because we can come to him at any time and he wants to, he wants to have that relationship with us. But there are other times when we come with formed prayers. This may be uh, some prayer that some, some saint or some church has written out before. Sometimes we use form prayers in our corporate prayer as we pray as a church. There's a little book called Valley of Vision that I often use and go to, and, and I'll just pray the prayers that other people have recorded. And because, like, does, is that, like, cheating? 
You know, like, is, that, is that cutting corners? Absolutely not, because God is concerned about our hearts, right? Not, not the, the words that we say as much as the heart that is behind the words that we say. And so if, if someone has, has, has said, you know, man, here's a great way to pray. Okay, God, my life for your glory. Anybody remember that from last week at the end of the sermon? Thank you very much. Okay, then I can like pray that prayer even though someone else came up with the words. You know, I was like, that's a great way to pray. And here's the best way to pray, I think. When you're talking about form of praying, how about this? Here's a novel idea. Take the Bible, all right? and pray the prayers of Scripture. I mean, what we have here in this passage is a prayer from Paul that, that is outstanding for us to pray for ourselves and especially for those around us. So we can have free prayers and form prayers. Number two, we can pray alone and we can pray assembled. Okay, so there are some times in our life when we just need to kind of tuck away, get in our, Jesus calls a prayer closet, okay, kind of away from the distractions of this world, and we need to get alone with God and, and pray to him. But then there are other times, whether it's Sunday morning, whether it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Sunday afternoon, Thursday night, in a community group, or maybe it's before you go to class or before you go to work, you're gathering with a couple of Christians, maybe over a cup of coffee, and you pray. So it's, it's both alone, but then also assembled when we pray. And, and let me just say this, if you need a jump start to your prayer life, why don't you try the assembled piece first? Just get together with some other Christians and see that, that it is good when, when we come together to pour our heart out before God. This is, listen to this, this is not a crutch, okay? Like this is, this is not, again, like cheating to say, you know what, I'm going to be strengthened by my brothers and sisters in Christ as we're praying together, and then that's going to motivate me to want to pray more when I'm on my own. That's how it often works in my spiritual journey. So uh, free and formed, alone and assembled. Uh, D, desperate and delighted. Okay, here, here's another tension. There are times we come before God and, and we should be desperate before him. Have you ever been there? There's a seriousness. There's an earnestness. There's a sense of urgency. Maybe you've got some really hard news or there's just something that you desire so greatly. Maybe it's, maybe it's the salvation of someone that you're close to and you're just really earnest before God and praying for them. But then there's also, at the same time, not only a desperation but also a delight. Because God created us not only to, to glorify him but also to enjoy him. This is an amazing truth. God, listen, I love this. God does not separate our joy from his glory. They always go together. When we live our life for God, we experience the depths of joy like nothing else in this world can offer us. So it's okay to pray with a smile on your face, with joy in your hearts, with gladness. Man, th when this happens, it's like, man, I get to pray. I don't have to pray. I don't have to pray because the preacher was talking about it on Sunday. Man, we should be praying. Okay, so it's like, I want to because God is so good, and he hears us, and he cares, and he loves. All right, I'm moving on. Number, number four, all right, E, explosive and extended. All right, so, so there should be short prayers, and there should be extended prayers, longer prayers. So, so did you know that it is valid just to pray a one-word prayer to God? Help. Like, you know, like God is smart enough. He can kind of sort that out. You know what I'm saying? Awesome. Wow. Like that can actually be a prayer of our heart before God, that God is, is working and we see his work among us. 
But then there are times we need to just dig in and, 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 and go at it in prayer, maybe with a list of people and, and circumstances that we're praying about, interceding for others, going, going to God on their behalf. And then finally, uh, spontaneous and scheduled. And this is, this is different than explosive and extended. Spontaneous is just whenever God leads us to pray. He prompts us to pray. We, we go to him in prayer. It doesn't matter if you're driving, you're on the T, you're at work, okay? What, no matter where you are, uh, God is, is, is there, he's listening, he's present, and we can pray. But also it's good to get away, set aside some time in your, in your schedule, in your calendar to schedule out some prayer before God. And again, like I've just, I don't know if anybody's like, like me, but there are sometimes I feel like, man, I have to schedule that. If I have to schedule it, then it must not be that important to me. Shouldn't I just want to do it anyway? Well, I, I would make the flip side of the argument and say, you know what? I make a plan for what I value. And so if, if something is that valuable to me, then it's going on my calendar because if I don't put it on my calendar, then every, everything else is going to compete for that attention, right? So, so, so even your daily, uh, maybe devotional time in the morning, like you can put that on your calendar. Put it in a nice, neat color if you want to, all right? This is time with God. I'm going to block it off and spend it with God. So free and formed, alone and assembled, desperate and delighted, explosive and extended, spontaneous and scheduled. These are, these are ways that we can pray. Now then the question, what do we pray? And then you can answer this in a lot of different ways, but we're going to look at how Paul prays here in Ephesians uh, chapter 1. This is, this is what it, where he goes. Okay, first off, he expresses gratitude for God's work in them. He says, look, you have this vertical relationship with God. He thanks God because of their faith in the Lord Jesus, right? And then he says, and for your love toward all the saints. So, so this is the beautiful thing about the gospel. The gospel not only causes us to love God when we once didn't love God, but now the gospel changes the way that we love other people and, and, and frees us up to do that in ways that we could never do before. So uh, he, he prays that, that, that he thanks God for their faith and their love. And then he goes on in verse 17 and he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So, so God wants them to have uh, such, such wisdom and insight in, in the knowledge of him. So, so don't miss this, okay? This is a, a short phrase that, that has crucial importance for everything that follows because everything that Paul is going to pray is predicated, okay, it's built on our knowledge of God. We often quote A.W. Tozer, right? Whatever comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so the, the knowledge of God is the knowledge that influences all other knowledge. So what do you think about God? Is God good? Is God glorious? Is God gracious? Is God benevolent? Is God kind? Is God just? All of these things are going to influence how we pray and how we live our lives. And so, so he goes on then in verse 18, and what does he say? He says that, that God would give them the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. And so Paul's conclusion is this. You can have 20-20 vision with your physical eyes, but you may not see very clearly with your spiritual eyes. There is actually spiritual sight that God, through the, the eyes of faith, 
gives us to see beyond the present circumstances that we are surrounded by. We have to pray that God would would open the eyes of one another so that we can see just how amazing he is and just how much he has given us in Christ. So as you think about your spiritual sight, I mean, is your spiritual sight foggy because of maybe a, a, a somewhat distant relationship with God, maybe because of personal sin that you've been harboring in your life and you haven't been confessing that to God and getting that clean, cleaned up? I mean, is your, is your spiritual sight clean because of God's grace to you, or, or does your spiritual sight need some work? Does God need to shine more light, right, so that, so that you're, you can see more clearly and, and, and further ahead? I love what Helen Keller uh, says about, about uh, sight. You know that she was uh, born deaf and blind, and yet she probably inf- had greater influence than most people uh, in the 20th century. Uh, this is what she said. She said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. You got that? People, people can see but not really see. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I, mean, like, I want you to be able to see. I want you to be able to, to, to see what God has for you. And so what is that, Paul? Uh, as we break this, this uh, prayer down, okay, if we kind of structured it out, what we would see is he's saying, God, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, open their eyes to be able to, to do that, and then what I really want them to know are three things, okay? He wants them to know three things that are true for them in Christ, and the first two come in verse 18, all right? Number one, he says that he prays that they know the hope to which he has called you. Last week, we talked about brokenness in our world and how we all need hope. We all need the hope that Christ will restore all things and bring all things back together. And so, man, in this world, we're going to face trouble, right? There are going to be things that weigh us down, that discourage us, that that cause us to doubt and to fear and uh, cause anxieties to rise up in our hearts. And so what we need in those moments is a, is a hope in Christ that, that Christ has the final word, that Christ will, will glorify himself in and through uh, our, our circumstances. Hope refers to having a confident expectation in God's ability to fulfill his promises. So when, when we set our hope on Christ and this, this, this hope that he has called us to, that he's brought us into, we can respond totally differently than we would without the, the, the hope that, that God has given us in Christ. There is a great hope that he has deposited within us now that we can look ahead with confidence and expectation because God is always faithful. He always comes through on his promises. But then number two, he goes on and he, and he prays that they would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. All right, that's, that's verse 18 at the end. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And we, and we should ask the question, well, whose inheritance is, is Paul talking about here? And, and he's not talking about our inheritance like he talked about in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1. He's talking about God's inheritance that, that he will receive uh, in, guess who, his people. Did, did you know that you, if you are in Christ, you belong to God, and you are God's inheritance. This is an amazing thought, right? That, that God would delight in us in such a way that, that, 
that he would say, you are my treasured possession. You are my inheritance. I mean, did, did you know that you are a treasure to God? I mean, I mean just, just listen up for a second. You are a treasure to God. You have been made in his image. And if you are in Christ, now you have been brought back. You have been redeemed to be like him, to live for him, to glorify him. And so, so you are doubly precious to God, right? And I mean, what, what does this do for us, right? I mean, is this not the cure for all of our insecurities in life? I mean, you have, you have dignity, you have worth, God delights in you. This, this, this truth, I mean, it, it supersedes anything that we can read in some kind of self-help, self-esteem book, man, get, get a little boost that'll last for a few days. I mean, what about the fact that God loves us and delights in us and we are his treasured possession? Should that not fill us with all the confidence that we need in life? Properly received this kind of, this kind of view that we are God's inheritance. It, it can, it can uh, cause our, our hope and our confidence and our joy to simply be inextinguishable, right? Because it's not dependent upon our circumstances any longer. It's dependent on who God is and what he thinks of us. That is really good news. So the first two ingredients Paul wants us to see are the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I know we covered those quickly because I want to spend more time on the third element, and that is the power that is at work in those who believe. This brings us to our second and final point this morning. Live with the unlimited power God gives to those who believe. Now, now, it seems to me that Paul spends so much time here because perhaps this one impacts our day-to-day -day life, our moment-by-moment -moment living more than any of these other facets of what he wants them to know, all right? And so in verses 19 and following, this is what Paul begins to say. He says this. He wants them to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And he doesn't stop there. According to his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, I hope you feel the weight of what Paul is trying to communicate here to the Ephesians. And listen, if you are in Christ, then this is all true for you. If you have looked to Christ and said, you know, Jesus, I trust in what you did for me on the cross, your sacrifice, and, 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 and how you were, uh, rose from the dead that I might have life in you, then, then all of this is true for us. Paul says that the power that is available for the Christian is immeasurably great. Okay, some translations say surpassing greatness. Others say incredible greatness. And it's, and it's the power that is according to the strength of his great might. Okay, it's like Paul, do you see? Just like he's stacking term after term, one on top of the other, to show these, these people how great the power is that is available to them. 
But it only starts there. He says, look, if you really want to know about this power, okay, let this just kind of knock you over in terms of grasping what God has done for us in Christ. He goes on in uh, verse 20, and he says that this is the power that he worked in Christ when he what? When he raised him from the dead. I mean, this, this should shock us in the best possible way, right? The same power that rose, that rose Jesus from the, the dead, okay? The, Jesus, Jesus really died after he was really crucified and he was really laid in, an empty, in, a, in a once empty tomb outside of Jerusalem, okay? And his dead corpse came to life by the power of God, the Spirit, caused Jesus to, to, be, to be raised from the dead, and now the same spirit is powerfully at work within us. Astounding. This is what Jesus says at the end of, uh, at the end of his life before he uh, rose to the fa- Father, ascended to the Father. In Acts 1.8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this, this power has now come to us by his spirit. So this is the power that raised Jesus from the dead, and it also is the power that caused him to ascend and reign at the Father's right hand in heaven. And it's the power that gives him the name that is above every name, not just for a little while, but for all ages. Okay, Jesus has no rivals. He, he conquers all of the, the spiritual enemies and opposers of God and his kingdom. Is what he says, far above all rule and authority and dominion in the heavenly places and power. And, th- and, then, and then just to make sure he's really, really clear, okay, this is the power, listen to me, I hope you're like hanging on the edge of your seat for this truth, okay, like, this is the power that is at work in you. He says, he says that, that this is the power that put all things under his feet, and he gave him, listen to this, to, to us, to the church as head over all things the authority, the the source of of his church. God now has made Christ the the leader of his church. So we as Redemptional Church, okay, we we are led by pastors, okay? We have a great leadership team and so many great people uh, who who make this this whole thing and this whole mission happen, okay? But, but, But we are ultimately led by Jesus who is the ultimate head and king and leader of this church. That's good news. So, so all of this is at work in us. I know that's a lot of kind of theology for us to consider. Uh, Jesus' death, resurrection, his ascension, his, his victory, uh, his, his conquering over all the spiritual forces and powers that are in the world. And now he leads his church. But, but this, this should do something for us in our souls. And so what I want to give you just a couple of truths that, that hopefully you can walk away with and say, you know what? Yes, that's true. Yes, that's true. That's changing how I live the rest of my life today, tomorrow, and moving forward. Okay, so, so what is that? Okay, number one, all of the resources of God are available to us. Verse 19, this, this power is at work toward those who believe. Okay, so, so Paul is not praying that they would possess a new power, okay? He is praying that they would know a power that they already possess. P 
Peter puts it like this in, in his little letter. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Okay, do you see that? His divine power has granted to us all things. It has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. And so if, if, if you're like me, sometimes there are things that, that happen in, in our lives or just even spiritually kind of where we are before God that we think, you know what, man, I can't really live for God like he wants me to. And I can't really become progressively like Jesus, which is what happens after we put our faith in Christ. And so then we start thinking, you know what, there's some things that are kind of beyond us. You know, there's like some things that I'm not going to see happen in my life spiritually because, you know, I can't measure up. I'm just, I'm just not going to get there. And what Paul is saying is like, no, the power of God is at work in you. And whatever your fill in the blank is, like, I can't do this, or I'll never be able to do that, or I'll never see God work this in me, God is able. He is able to do it. So you may be saying, you know what, Tanner, I mean, I, I see the value in having a consistent devotional life, but I just, I, just, I just don't know if I can get there. Some of you may be uh, saying, you know what, man, I just don't know if I could ever uh, be a, a bold witness for Christ, like really sharing my faith and telling others about Jesus. Some of you are saying, you know what, man, like I'm a decent dad, but I can never be a great dad. I can never be a great mother. I can never be patient with my roommate or patient with my kids. I can never get too involved in the, the life of the church. I can never make it through this trial. I can never be in a position to mentor someone else because God is growing me and I can help them along in their faith. I mean, whatever it is for you, whatever the, that, that hesitancy, that hindrance, that roadblock that, that, that may kind of stand in your way, I just have a series of questions, all right? Like, did, did Jesus rise from the dead? And did the Spirit... Uh, Take, take the, the power that belongs to him and cause Jesus to, to rise from the dead. And now, is that spirit at work in you? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. So then number two, if, if all the resources of God are available to us, then do you know what, do you know what this, this means? This leaves us without excuse. Listen, I... I I know how it is, man. It's like, I got this going on. I'm busy. God can never do this because I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm too jacked up. I'm too messed up. And surely God doesn't use people like me to, to do great things for his kingdom. And it's like one excuse after the other, after the other, after the other. But, but what Paul, like when, we, when we really pray this for one another, when we really grasp the power that is at work within us, then we really have no excuse. The gospel can free us from any struggle, any temptation, any addiction, any trial. There is no sin Christ cannot conquer, and there is no fruit that he cannot produce in us. Let me say that again. I see some of you kind of thinking about that. There is no sin in our life. There is nothing that we do that is contrary to God's will and ways, which are always for our joy. There is nothing in our lives that he cannot conquer. All right? Whatever that kind of sin, anger, greed, lust, pride, whatever, that, whatever it may be, all right? Uh, the approval of others, like whatever it is that we're chasing after, okay? Christ can conquer that, right? We can put that off and we can put on that which looks like Christ. We can, we can say yes to godliness. 
He can produce his fruit in us. There is no limit to what he can do. We are more than conquerors, as Paul says in another place. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8. So Paul is going on, but, but, but as, as we think about all of this, let's not forget, okay, what is Paul doing here? He's praying, right? And so we must pray this for our own souls, but we also must pray this for one another because the default kind of mode of our heart is to to work out things in our own strength. We want to muster up the strength that that we can depend on ourselves to to fulfill God's plans for our lives. Or, Or maybe it is that you're hearing all this and it sounds really good, but still like deep down you know you're doubting it, like you're just, you're just doubting it. And so what's going to cause the the doubt to be pushed back and what's going to cause the the self-dependence to be pushed back? It is prayer. It's becoming more intimately aware of God and who he is in this power that he has deposited in us. So this this is a great way to pray for one another. We take Ephesians 1 and this week, how about, here's a great suggestion. Take Ephesians 1, and pray for someone that you care about. Pray for someone in this, in this church. Pray for, pray for your spouse. Pray for your family. Pray for someone in your community group. Just pray the prayer. Use, use each phrase to kind of lead you on to other prayers for people who are around you. This will enable us to see with the eyes of faith and live off of this power moment by moment. I want to close with a a quote from Jim Elliott. He was a missionary to uh, Ecuador uh, back in, I believe, maybe the 50s or 60s. He was actually martyred for his faith in Christ. But this is what Elliott said in in about the middle of the 20th century. He had some some words for us to consider this morning about, about the power of God that he wants to work in us so that he can do great things through us, okay? This is what Elliott says. We are so utterly ordinary, so commonplace, while we profess to know a power the 20th century does not reckon with, we are spiritual pacifists, non-militants, conscientious objectors in this battle to the death with the principalities and powers in the high places. Meekness must be had for contact with men, okay, humility toward men. But when it comes to the spiritual battle that is going on around us, he says this, but brass, outspoken boldness is required to take part in the comradeship of the cross. We are sideliners, coaching and criticizing the real wrestlers while content to sit by and leave the enemies of God unchallenged. The world cannot hate us. We are too much like its own. Oh, that God would make us dangerous. Elliot is, is saying this, okay? Oftentimes, Christians talk a good game, and that's it. Yeah, I follow a guy who was raised from the dead. And by my life, I deny that I believe that. What Elliot is saying is he's saying, look, if you believe that Jesus died on a Roman cross and rose from the dead and now he has placed his power within you, then get in the game. 
We are not passengers in this thing, right? We're participants. And so we, we want to live out the truths that we see here in Scripture so that, so that we can uh, push back the powers of darkness, right? There is a spiritual war going on all around us, and we're going to see this throughout Ephesians. That's why Paul's using this lofty language of authorities and powers and, and dominions and, and, and realms, okay? And so what, what, what Paul is trying to do and what Elliot is saying is that we should not cower back in fear as if we don't have the power to live the Christian life, but we should take up our arms and live for God in the ways that God has called us to live. I love how he concludes this prayer. In addition to the fact that when you're in the game, you won't criticize those who are in the game. It's like, I mean, like, let's not be a church where we bicker and complain about trivial matters, right? It's like, I think, thankfully, we, we're not that kind of church. Right? I'm just saying, like, preemptively, okay, let's not like, oh, man, you know, the rugs are a little dirty today. And like, you know, like, I mean, it's like, no, it's like, you guys feel me on that? All right, thank you. All right, I was about to go off on something I didn't want to, you know, whatever. Um, so you, you guys, like, because we're, we're, we're going in the same direction, right? We're all part of the mission. It's like there are greater things to be done for God, and so we're going to focus on that. Oh, that God would make us dangerous, not, not as we relate to people, as we live out the truths that God has given us in his word. That's what Paul is talking about. That's what Jim Elliott is talking about. And so let me ask you this as we close. Are you living a spiritually anemic life or are you living in the power God supplies? Jesus died and rose again that our lives might be fueled with his power. And so what God does is this. He takes ordinary people, nothing special about Tanner, all right? Nothing special about J.U. Nothing special about Naveen and Archer. Nothing special about James and Jim. And you like name every person in this room. There's really nothing. I'm not trying to discourage you. You're in Christ. You've got everything. But it's like, otherwise, there's nothing really special about us. We're ordinary people. We're broken people. We're flawed people. And yet God takes ordinary people and he places his extraordinary power in us. And why does he do that? It is so that we can see this. We have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of Christ in jars of clay. These are ordinary vessels, cardboard boxes, if you will, to show why, to show that the, the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So as we live with the extraordinary power of God, we are in a position to show the world how great and glorious and powerful God is. Let's pray together. Father, I feel like this truth is, is way beyond us. And so, Lord, it's, it makes sense that Paul would pray that the Ephesians would know the power that is at work in them. Because God, I for one, don't, don't often live with this kind of power. So Lord, would you, would you help us to believe through, through just the eyes of faith, through, through the spiritual eyes of our hearts, Lord, would you cause us to see what you have given us in Christ? 
And would you take us deeper into the knowledge of you, just the, the, the depths of your great love, Lord? Would we be motivated by everything that is good and true and pure and beautiful and lovely so that uh, we can glorify you with the, the, the life that you've given us, the time that you've given us, the skills and the gifts that you have given each one of us. Lord, we're thankful that your power is limitless, which means there is no limit to what you can do in us. So I just pray that, that we as, as people, as men and women, would receive this power. If there's someone here who's never said yes to Christ and chosen to follow him with their life, Lord, pray that they would do that today, that they would crap to you and say, I'm in, I'm following Jesus. And Lord, for 100% of us who are, who are in Christ, who are seeking to live out our lives for you, Lord, would you, would you embolden us? Would you uh, make, make us to see, Lord, how, how great you are that, that our lives would be truly dangerous for you and your kingdom purposes? here in greater Boston until the ends of the earth. Lord, we're humbled that you've chosen us and adopted us, called us into your family. And we're grateful that you are doing such a great work in us. Lord, we pray for greater things still to come. In Jesus' name, amen.